manage with people versus managing people. Once again, management with them, with them, work with them, talk with them, communicate with them, work with them versus managing them and tell them what to do and this and that, I demand this, I demand that. But by managing with people, people work together. And more people that work together with communication skills, the production level skyrockets versus other type of managements. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Up Close in Personnel. I'm your host, Alex Brown, and I just want to wish everybody a happy July 4th weekend. This is the second part of my conversation with John Peterson, who dropped so much information last week on the recruiting process. If you haven't listened to it, you need to definitely hit subscribe and check out that last episode. But this week, we focus a lot more on the personnel departments in college football and how it's changed over the years. So with all that being said, here's the second half of an incredible conversation with one of my mentors, John Peterson. Just hit a button, Morty, give me a beat. Oh man, okay, all right. Um. Yeah, I, I really feel like we've touched on a lot of from your coaching and your recruiting, your scouting background, how you evaluate your process for taking notes. But from a, a personnel department stamp, standpoint, uh, topic of the week I really wanted to focus on is really the, the growth of player personnel in college football. And, you know, when, when you were transitioning out of pro scouting, you had a chance to, to interview with UT. And mm-hmm. you shared with me the booklet that, that you put together, that, that you presented with and interviewed with. And I, I'd love to hear what your process was to, with putting this packet together and, and kind of the thought that went into it of kind of combining, you know, your college experiences as a coach and, you know, your, your personnel experiences. But the, the thing that I didn't notice from the first time I read it, I, I reread it this morning, you, you mentioned uh, Dr. Clark W. Hetherington. Right. Formula for Education. Oh, uh, yeah. Our listeners are probably like, who in the world is, is Dr. Clark Hetherington? And, right. and it just, it struck me as so intriguing. So, so just kind of talk through what that formula oh, looks I'd like. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. So my first class, graduate class at the University of Utah, they had three fundamental classes, problem of health, problem of rec, problem of physical education. But the first class everyone takes is the Clark W. Hetherington class. He was in the 1920s, one of the first presidents of the American Health and Physical Education across the country. And it wasn't even probably called that at that time. It was probably an association of this to that, whatever. But he spent years developing his formula for education. What is the formula of how we learn? Okay, not some psychological type of thing, not some psychological testing type of thing, but how does man learn? How does a person learn in our society, in our world? Here's what his formula eventually said. And everything under these basic concepts is all postulated scientifically with this and that and so forth. So, I mean, this was an entire class built on this man's formula and going down through every little tiny detail under each postulated under man plus environment plus activity plus leadership equals education okay four components equal education so we need people or men the man we need an environment to develop ourselves and to learn. We need an activity to propel ourselves to learn and interact and grow and develop and feel good about myself. And then I need a leader to give me some direction. If someone asks you to define leadership, one, what is a leader? A leader is one who motivates people to act is the definition of a leader. 
Now there's all kinds of leaderships. I could be a holler screamer. I can be a real low key guy. I'm just on those particular traits. I may be a leader, just, just an observant leader and can make a comment or two. Now to get back to Clark W. Hetherington. And he said after this, those four components work together, equal education, learning. And if you wanna use that same formula in the business world, if you wanna use it in the athletic world, you wanna use it, I don't care what, education is production. Education is uh, increasing value of something and so forth. Education, now, education is coaching. Education is player development. I mean, exactly, you're, you're, exactly, you're exactly. Teaching people to become their best, the best version of their ability. Yeah, exactly. Right. Now, here's one thing that's so important. When you went through all the different methodologies of leadership from all the different styles of leadership, he came up and said, this is the best style of leadership. He said, management, and again, there's a million different managing styles, okay? You can manage a number of different ways. You can be a micromanager. You can be a demanding guy. You can be a dictator, management skills, on and on and on. But from all his research, he said the most productive managing style is to manage with people versus managing people. Once again, management with them, with them, work with them, talk with them, communicate with them, work with them versus managing them and tell them what to do and this and that, I demand this, I demand that. But by managing with people, people work together. And more people that work together with communication skills, the production level skyrockets versus other type of management uh, scales. Uh, and it's proven. People in leadership and management have done studies over and over again and shows that when you work together and work with people versus being a dictator and telling what to do, that's not good enough. I want it this way. Well, the way we're doing it really is not getting done. I'm doing it. You're awake. Have you thought about this? Can I just present something to you? What is it? I've been observing this and observing that. I've kept some data on this and some numbers on that. And the way we're doing it right now, the numbers are lower. But if we work together from the people involved, the personnel involved on this job, if we incorporate them and ask for their comments and make them feel good about what we're doing, I will guarantee you the production will be higher the satisfaction will be higher. People will feel better about themselves. And when you feel better about yourselves and your fellow man, production goes skyrockets and gets better. Total program ownership. Exactly. Flipping back a little bit to the personnel side, when it comes to college football recruiting and the advent of the transfer portal, okay? Now, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on you know, decisions and, 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 you know, why certain players go into the portal, why not, even though that is a big factor, because from a, a background standpoint, I feel like you've got to do so much work to make sure that you're bringing in the right person. You know, you got to understand why somebody's transferring, why are they leaving the other program? And ultimately, I think it's a healthy balance to college football, because in the past, colleges had all the power and they kind of held it over players' heads. And I think it's only in, in the the best interest of the game because now it forces coaches to understand, Hey, I've got to earn my players respect day in and day out. I'm, I'm, that's not a given. It's not a given that they are, you know, a part of our program. I have to cherish them and look out for them and, and do what's best for my players. Right. Talking more on the evaluating side, because now you're looking at really three different kind of, three different buckets of player acquisition. There's the high school ranks, there's the two-year or the prep schools, the junior colleges and the prep schools, and there's the portal. And so there's different types of, of transfers right now with sit-outs and grad transfers. That will, it will be voted on in January, probably, probably gonna be passed or whatever. So it's basically gonna make it more or less free agency. 
what are some ways that college recruiting departments can incorporate pro scouting principles to effectively approach that? Well, first of all, I think the transformation to the college level of the NFL and pro people began about maybe five or six years ago. And it all started by even the title of people. Well, he's our director of player personnel. Before it was, well, he's our recruiting director. Now he's our personnel director. I'm the assistant director of player personnel. Um, I do, the, I am heavy with the recruitment, but this is my title. They've, um, what's the time? I heard another one the other day. I just kind of said, oh, okay. Um, he's, our, he's our general manager, um, you know, and actually the, the, the uh, football operations guy, maybe he's the general manager now or, but football operations, probably was one of the ones that changed over first, then it went to personnel. And along with this, the recruitment process, you have a recruiting coordinator and this and that. But I, the titles have changed over very similar to what NFL has been. And with that come duties and responsibilities. It gives you a better chance to understand what that person does or have some idea. Um, but the organization structure that has changed over has moved down considerably um, from the NFL from, you know, he's the director of football operations underneath him, uh, or, or no, he's a, he's a director, department head, the director of player personnel, the director of football operations, the director of equipment and video director. So you may have four or five, six directors across the line using a flow chart type of thing. And they report directly to the head coach and the head coach reports directly to the athletic director, or he goes right to the president, whatever their structure might be. But I think it's very important to understand the flow chart as it's at each institution is different, just like the flow chart and command chart in the national football leagues is different from one team to the next. He may be called this and they'd be the same call at the other team, but their duties, responsibilities may be different and so forth. You know, I'm calling this guy our senior director of football operations. Well, I needed to give him a title so I can give him some more money or I was going to lose him. He's really going to do the same thing, but I'm going to put a senior director title on him. Okay. So with that, the game has, has changed. And with recruiting changes to a 12 month calendar, it has also developed specialty people as you're getting to. Okay. You've got an evaluator. And all he might do is evaluate, identify people first. Then when they get on and we, we look at the, after identifying, we're going to qualify these people. All right, you identify and then you qualify. That's what you do. That's your function in this department, player personnel department. I got to have you do this. You cut the wheat from the chaff. Okay, identify it and then break it down by qualifying. Next, you two guys are going to be the, the evaluators, the first level of evaluation, if you want to use levels of evaluation. So you've got 200 quarterbacks across the country. You're going to look at these guys, all right? I, you may not look at all 200, but you're going to at least be knowledgeable that the one kid right over here in Montana is a 5'10", 170-pound option quarterback, and we're going to rule him out just based upon the first little bit you watched on him because he, he's not a pro-style guy or he's not this and that for our system, to meet our system. He's got to be a 6'2 guy and he's got to be 210 pounds to start with, some basic qualifications. But you are in the valuation phase. You two guys evaluate. So they are going to start to decrease. Now, in the National Football League, we start every year with 15,000 draft-eligible senior players, names, 15,000. And that's, those 15,000 are compiled, compiled by the two combines, Blesto and National. Blesto has about 17 or 18, uh, I mean, excuse me, National, Blesto, 6, 7, 8, whatever. And some teams in the NFL do not belong to a combine. They're doing all the work themselves. So what happens is, in the spring, a combine evaluator or combine scout and each of the combines put people in it. So if I'm a national, I'm going to put a player in. One of the people who works for us for the Carolina Panthers is going to be a national scout at somewhere in the country. Okay. 
And in the spring, when they start right after the first of the year, they're working on next year's guys. They're not concerned about anybody now, the draft coming up. They're working on next year guys. They're sitting up their spring visits. They're sitting up their pro, uh, combine pro days and so forth. Uh, and, and getting it all set up and who's who do I go see and the whole day I'm going to be together. The blessed God be with me. Um, we kind of work our, our schedules together just for um, logistics and we go see. And now here are the 15 draft eligible rising seniors for next year's class. In this case, class, class of 2001. Okay. And I'm going to get all the names. I'm responsible for every single name at that senior list. Now, in the last three years or so, they have added it. Now, let me go back on this because this is very important. Earlier in my days of scouting, if there was somebody that might come out early, an underclassman that might enter the draft earlier, coaches, you had to tiptoe around at the school if you wanted to try to figure out who that might be. Or watch, when I'm watching tape on those rising seniors, I'm watching a couple different juniors who are suspects to come out at the same time, right? I'm here doing that. But I'm certainly not going to ask coaches or trainers or wing strength coaches or anybody else I visit with at that school about these guys who might come out early. That was a taboo. That was no, you'd get tossed off the campus if you did that. So you're skirting around trying to do some incognito work on these guys. Well, as, and that's what maybe, 20 guys came out early in the draft years ago. And then I went to 45. And then I went to 60. And each year it increased. So now, by this time, the coaches, so when a guy comes out early and declares, now that scout, that area scout, who goes to that school responsible, he's responsible for that report and evaluation on that player coming out early, underclassman. Well, I got to do the same thing all over again that I did in the fall. I got to contact the pro liaison. I got to try to get to his position coach. I got to talk to the head coach. I got to talk to the trainer. I got to get tape. I got to talk to his academic counselor. I got to talk to the equipment manager. All these people I want to visit with to get background and understanding. I got to do it all over again for this guy. And yet he's declared, but at the very end, he may back out. But I got to do the work. So now I got to call these people or I go see him in person. And they get tired of that. Man, we, I'm in the middle of recruiting. I don't have time to talk about Joe Smith, who just indicated he's going to come out in the draft and declare. But I will because I want to help the kid and all this and that and so forth. Well, that got to a point when you had 120, 125, maybe up to 140 declarations of people. That got nuts. And all of a sudden, LSU has 12 people who have declared for the draft. They got 12 in the draft and they got six coming out early. And now I got 18 people who were draft eligible for this 2021 draft or whatever it might be. So what happened is coaches finally said, you know what, I'm tired of this. And I can remember talking to Bob Stoops at Oklahoma and Bob would say, John, what's going on with this thing? I said, coach, I'm gonna tell you something to make it a less headache for you and a less headache for me, if you have any inclination of any players that might come out early, just tell us that, all right? We'll do the work on them. You talk about them now and all that, and if they come out, great. We've done the work. We can do a cross-check later on them with someone else and so forth. But I don't want to have to come back and bug you. You got other things to fish to fry at this time of the year and so forth. So all of a sudden, the Nick Sabins and the Bob Stoops in the world and those people started saying, you know, you're right. I don't want to have to do this all over again. So what they did, the major schools have set aside a day after the declarations on the 15th of January or whatever the day is now and come in. So a lot of guys do it in the South, Southeast and Southwest do it the week of the latter part of the week of the senior bowl, well, everybody's not the senior bowl. I can see some college coaches that have come over, but it's easier for me to drive from Mobile, Alabama to Baton Rouge, Louisiana to a junior pro day. I mean, pro day meaning a junior visit background day. 
And so all the scouts come on that day. Everything's done as if it was in the fall. And one day, just for that group, visit, watch tape. They bring in the trainer. They bring in all these people to talk to you. Said, are you having to go around and can I talk to you? And hey, at one o'clock this afternoon, the academic person's coming in to talk about these guys. Fantastic. Just sit put. Do watch tape until they get here. At 2.30, the trainer's coming in to talk about injuries. For those people who have signed their document that they can be, that the trainer can talk about, you know, the HIPAA program and that kind of stuff. Right. So, all right. So that's what I'm getting to. Well, then the coaches with the help of NFL scouts saying, look, if, can you nominate, if you want, nominate five underclassmen to work out at the junior pro day, those rising seniors, all those seniors, we come into the school on, um, when I come in on February 2, I'm coming to your school. Could we have your underclassmen, youth who just declared, or youth, no, I'd make it up, that you think would declare next year, go through that process with our rising seniors to be, just to save time, save energy, and so forth. And we'd have that data and all that stuff done for them. They can run a 40 and so forth. We'll have all that data to give to the teams in, in May, the NFL teams in May, when we get together with our meetings. And now they can go in the next year and not bug you. And they can go watch summer tape in June of those guys coming on and they put them part of that group. So that is a great development, a time saver, uh, less frustrating for the coaches and the other people that we have to visit with to get background and pertinent information. So that has transpired. Now, I got to go back to your original question. Okay. <laughs> and repeat it for me once again. I'm, I've got off. So what, what are some pro scouting principles that college recruiting departments can implement to best evaluate and make great, be, make better decisions on who to bring in to their program? Number one, you need a full-time person that that's person's that's all that person does. That is a new depart departmental position. And maybe a graduate assistant if you don't have the funds, but that's all he does is look at those potential players who are going to transfer to another institution and declare to be in the portal. That portal has grown so fast. And now it's a situation where the portal has a short period of time when that person is going to visit this school, this school, and that school and make a decision within three weeks after they declared from the portal, into the portal, okay? So you've got to be on top of it, just like recruiting. It's a recruitment phase. So now we have a new recruitment phase, okay? And, and so once that person declares he's in the portable, you're working like a, like a bear cat to get in and do all the work that's needed, right? I got to talk to the coach of the, who just had him in, his school at the position coach at Alabama. He's coming over here. He's looking at, at uh, Louisiana Lafayette, you know, UL Lafayette. So I've got to, there's got to be all kinds of discussions with those people to get an idea. Once again, how does he learn? How about his ability? Does he play much? Statistics? Do all the whole report because that report has to be filed so that you can make a good decision. Do I want to go after him? If he comes to seek us, am I interested in him? Am I going to offer him a scholarship? You know, I've only got three scholarships left, and I'm going to I'm going to give two to transfers coming in from the portal. And the other one, I'm going to wait to see after spring ball if I'm going to elevate one of our players who's not on scholarship. But it's another department, and it has to be treated like another department in order to do a quality job, quality people, build quality programs. So you want a quality person leading that because that's a very in, it's a very beneficial to that program. And yes, 90% of the people entering the portal and going somewhere else because I'm not playing enough time. That's only natural. Uh, I'm a quarterback and I should be starting, but there's a sophomore ahead of me they put in there. And after spring ball, he's the number one guy. And he's also got a junior number two. So I'm the three quarterback and I got my last year. I got two years left, but these guys got plenty of time. So I'm going to go somewhere else. I want to play. I want to play. 
And that's the number one reason people leave an institution and go through the portal. I want to play now. And if I go somewhere else that is deficient in this position that I am involved with, I have a greater chance to play. And if they have a, they just graduated a senior uh, and, and UL Lafayette, who is a senior quarterback, and they only have a freshman behind him, hmm, I could beat that freshman out. I could do that. I've been playing at least, I got X amount of snaps during this season, and I did that and did this, and, but I'm not going to start. And the other kid coming up was pretty doggone good. I can realize that. Okay. So I'm going to leave. I'm going to go. I want to play. And I'm going to select a school that has my major. Okay. So now you're in that recruitment process once again. And you have to have a person who's on top of that, the whole recruitment process again. Now you may only have only, you may have, I don't know, what are the portals look like number wise today? I don't know that. Tell me. It's scary. The, the number of players that enter the portal that wind up not finding a home and the players that find that, that wind up leaving scholarships. So that's, that's, that's the difficult part because there's a high supply and limited demand. Mm -hmm. And because the slots are so, you know, few and far between some players are out, you know, kind of, on uh you know on their own kind of on an island trying to find a home and the thing that that we've noticed is that specific positions your your offensive tackle with starting experience you know your quarterbacks um you know defense alignment um th those types of positions cornerbacks receivers but especially the offensive tackles with with yeah. starter experience their value gets skyrocketed because everybody wants a mid-year offensive lineman that can step into the program and give you value day one. Right. And mm -hmm. it's, it's no different than, than the free agency in the NFL where uh, ideally you would build through the draft. I, I, ideally from a cost benefit analysis standpoint where, you know, you, you have the player for a longer amount of time that you can work with them and it's a lower cost. Right. Whereas, in college football, it's the same way. You you would rather bring in a guy that you can develop over the course of three years and get the full, you know, reap the full benefit of developing the player uh, instead of trying to ingrain a player in your culture over a, an off season and then asking him to pick up the playbook and ask him to adjust to a new environment. Because those are all the difficulties yeah. of transferring. It's not just, hey, pick a school that doesn't have a starting offensive right. tackle. It's not just pick a school that is bereft of talent at that spot it's okay i need to pick a school that, that's going to fit with me i'm going to be able to take care of my school work to where i can really focus on ball and and do the things i need to do to, to be productive because at the end of the day like you said you're transferring to play you're transferring for an opportunity and right. um you know i think what what it's what it's done for a lot of guys is created a lot of second chances and mm -hmm. um you know i i think it's the, the biggest example of that being Joe Pearl. I mean, gosh, the guy sits and, you know, competes his tail off, tries to win the job. And at the end of the day, wasn't going to get the job. So yeah. he transferred to LSU and developed two more years there. All right. Now you, you used the word a minute ago that was a hot butt for me. You said the word value. In the National Football League, the word value is paramount. It is paramount. Everything we do in the NFL with player personnel is built around the word value. What is this player's value to me, to the team, to the position that he's at? And I'm going to ask, I'm gonna, we're going to play a little trivia question. Can you name in progression the four top values positions in the National Football League? This is a standard, standard used by everybody in the National Football League. There are four positions. Number one value, two value, three value, four value. See if you can name them. Quarterback, left tackle, defensive end, wide receiver, in that order. All right. It goes like this. This is universal in the National Football League. Quarterback is the number one valued position. Because why? In modern-day football, they throw the ball more than they run the ball. Mm -hmm. Number two 
if the ball, if the quarterback's going to throw the ball, we got to get to the quarterback on the defensive side. The number two value position is the defensive rush in. The guy that can get to the quarterback, pressure, sack, so forth. Now, if this guy is getting to the quarterback, somehow we got to prevent him from getting to the quarterback. Mm -hmm. So the number three valued position is the left tackle. Because most of the rush guys end up on the left right side. And most of the quarterbacks are right-handed throwers. So we got to protect his backside so that guy bearing down off the backside doesn't crush him, okay, and calls a fumble and all the other things. The number four position in the National Football League is the cornerback. Corner. Why? Because the ball's in the air. If I don't get to the guy and he gets it launched, somehow I got to prevent it from being caught. So those are the four basic positions in the National Football League. And then after that, then it can become an individual team. Well, I think the receiver, linebacker, but the con consensus of those first four are the ones I just showed you. Then after that, you know, Detroit might field this guy. And, and because of our system and how we use that position, this guy, that, you know, that D tackle can now be six and whatever and so forth. But that same principle goes down to the college level when you're looking at those guys who are portal transfers. All right. So if I need a quarterback, again, the word need, I need value in the quarterback. That's a position that's always going to, if I have a need there that I can upgrade and improve, then that's a position I'm always going to number one offer a scholarship to, to get someone there. If I feel I've got good people or respectable people, better than what's out there as I evaluate these portal quarterbacks that exist, then I'll go to the next one. I need a defensive end. I don't need a quarterback. He's good, but I feel good about our guys. And if I only got two scholarships available to use, what's the next highest valued position? Okay. And again, we can go down the list, but after those first four, then it becomes your system that you use. This guy can help us the most. And don't forget special teams. How can he help us on special teams? We have three phases of the game of football, offense, defense, and special teams. And people often forget about that. Yep. Often forget about that. And how many times do we win a ball game on the last kick, a block kick, a block punt? an onside kick, covering a punt, downing it on the one-yard line, okay, whatever. Fall, falling asleep on a fake punt. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So anyways, that's kind of my deal on why it, I feel that that particular per person has to be a full-time guy because he has to be able to rate the value of that position because you only got a certain amount of grants to give out, okay? Mm -hmm. Um. And, you know, and then at the same time, value is the most in thing when you're recruiting high school kids, you can use the same deal. Now, I'm going to get to one other thing on the, and most people don't understand this. When I'm looking, doing an evaluation on a player, and I'm going to use numbers, all right, the national scouting, national scouting combine has a scale that goes from eight to one, okay, and each one of these, an eight is the very top. And we could put all kinds of terms by it. Eight is going to be a superstar. Uh, he's an A player. All these kind of ways he can define an A player, a B player, or a first-round player, second-round player. But the key I'm getting at is we use numbers. So if I give a guy a, a 7-0 on an eight scale, eight being max, we also put word descriptions by the number okay so if i give this guy a seven there's going to be a word description that goes for the number seven it could be it could be outstanding now a seven indicates value where does that value come on a draft table if i'm a, if i gave him a kid a seven and verbally the word was outstanding 
then where does he fit on a scheme within the first round? Because seven is the bottom of the first round. Is he at 26? Is he at 28? Now we get down to splitting hairs where we line that guy up on the draft board when we start to do a full one through whatever. So along with that, we put verbal descriptions that go with the round number. Now, this is really critical because when I'm in a draft meeting and we're listening to others reporting their reports on a player, is either reading it or he's talking about the player. I don't know this player from Adam. He may be a kid from Boston College. I never went there. He may be a wide receiver from Boston College. And because I cross-check offensive linemen from around the country outside of my area, besides my area, I don't know this guy who he is. But I'm listening to my scout from the Northeast, and he's giving me descriptions of this guy. He's using descriptive words such as very good athletic ability, very good strength and explosion. He's going down critical factors, very good size. And then he says he's 6-0. He's a wide receiver. He's 6-0-3-1. He's 6'3 and 1-8. He's 215 pounds. And he runs 4-5 flat on a field turf surface, blah, 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 blah. But as I hear these words, outstanding, outstanding, on the different tactic traits that he's talking about, different criteria for that particular position, I'm sitting across the room and I'm going, oh, hell, this guy's bottom of the seventh round. I don't know this guy, but boy, listen to what you're saying. This guy belongs right down here about pick number 28 in the seventh round, or list, drop him in the seventh round on our board and we'll work through it and so forth and see where he finishes. Finish. But for right now, this guy's just bottom of the seventh. So put him right down there at the bottom of the seventh on the board for a starter. By using descriptive words that go directly with numerical numbers, we can tell what you're talking about. We can tell the value that this player has, where he's placed on the board and the value that he has. And as we move further along, we move further along. Now we've got three guys at his position in the bottom of the seventh round. Okay. We got Frank Jones from BC. We got Alex Jones from over here at UCLA and Bobby Smith from Texas. They've all got 7.1 grades, bottom of the seventh round, outstanding verbal descriptions on the great majority of their of their traits for that wide receiver position. Now, how do I tell who's the first guy in the seventh, who's the next one below him, and who's the third guy? We're keeping three up in the bottom of the seventh at that position. But who's the top of the three? Now you get into other types of measurements to determine that. We use other types of testing. We use the HRT test, which is a test used and designed by the military for their um, technical guys. They're, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the armed service guys who go in and combat and special forces and those kind of people. Okay, and there's 10 different categories with that. And we give that psychological test to the players. And we might, and we give them another test. We give them the Wonderlick test for their learning ability. And that's 12 minutes. And the other one takes an hour. And we know, do another test. I do a test called Aptus, born out of Austin, Texas. And it teaches me how to, how to learn, how to effectively learn. We look at all these test measurements. I got three guys in the bottom of the seventh round. Who's going to be the top guy? Is it Fred or is it two Jones, one of the Jones boys? I got to determine that. I don't know it yet. But I'm going to use every bit of information and background information and analytics as well and so forth to come up and determine who's one, who's two, who's three at wide receiver in the very bottom of the, seven, of the first round. Because their grades are the same. The verbiage describing them is the same. Outstanding, outstanding, outstanding. Another way to look at it, go to his pro day. What do you run? 
What he bench? What's his vertical? What's his three cone? Well, this guy clearly is a better athlete than this guy. He ran 4-4-2. He vertical jumped 10-6. He long jumped just under, just under 11. He bench pressed 21 reps at 225, so forth. He did great in his position drills. He can flip his hips. You name it. But that's kind of where, based on what you're losing, you can differentiate guys by isolating the position specifics yes. of, okay, well, this year we've got to get longer and we've got to, got to have more of a deep threat on the outside, somebody that can take the top off because we're losing that guy this year. Yeah. Whether he's losing a free agency for the NFL or if you're losing him as a graduating senior. Right. But then you can stack the board in terms of, okay, yes, maybe I can compensate some break point, change of direction. We can teach him how to be a better route runner. Um, but at the end of the day, like I'm valuing this trait yep. in this class. And and exactly. that's that's if you're at that point where they all have the same grade. It's so it's yeah. so awesome that, yeah. that you brought up the scale because that was something I, I highlighted. I didn't get to it. Um, but it's but it's those three kind of components that it takes to to make a grading scale. And yeah. you could take something from the NFL and bring it to the college level just college so as, just, just just so as long as as everybody's on the same page. The first, the first week I got to Rice, Coach Bloomer was awesome about, he said, hey, this is how we do it. How do you do it? And we just had this dialogue of, okay, let's take the, the color scheme that you have. Let's take the grading scale. Let's make the verbiage match. And then he said, how many days do you need to install this? And we spent about two, three days of just being in the staff meeting room, talking through the positions, going to position group meetings, sitting with the coaches, sitting with the staff. And that I think that's where once you have that convergence of the coaching staff and the personnel being on the same page, knowing what we're looking for, um, the whole Bill Parcells, uh, if I'm going to cook the food, you know, I, I, I better be allowed to go get some groceries too. Um, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's one or the other. It has to be a tandem. You have to work together on it. And okay. it's, it's that combination of the value assessment. So round in the NFL for college, it's, are we going to offer this player? Are we going to evaluate him in the spring of his junior year? Are we going to evaluate him in the summer? Are we going to evaluate his senior film? Are we going to wait until after his senior, senior season to make a decision? And then the numerical has to tie in with the language. Mm -hmm. Because if you're just throwing around adjectives and they're arbitrary, and you're throwing around numbers that are arbitrary, you can't track it. You can't, you can't go back and look at you know, your, your previous evaluations and, and, and learn from it, but you also can't stack a board if it's not consistent. It just has to be consistent. Now you just, I'm going to go back to a point you just made. You had a great relationship with your head coach when you came on board at Rice and we interacted and we talked, tell me how you do it. Was that managing with players or managing, managing you or managing with you? Yep. Management style. He was managing with you. He was asking for you. It's not, here's how we do it, and that's it. No. And then you got further. You took it further, and you managed with your coaches together to get the best possible product. In the end, it's production. Man plus environment plus activity. You're working together on that recruiting format plus the leadership that you're providing and the head coach and everybody else equals education equals production. I, I knew you'd love it when I brought up Dr. Hetherington. So, Hey, John, this was awesome. Uh, before I let you go, I need you to give me three pieces of advice you would give to recruits, to parents and to coaches going through the recruiting process. All right. Number one to the players. If you can go through as you're into your, sophomore or junior year, get an idea of, and let's go back to the comments I started with, all right? And that was the product, the market, and the competition, and geographics, and so forth, all right? Get an idea. Be realistic about yourself, okay? Remember, you asked me about how do I learn, and I said, I, I got to be realistic about myself, how I learn. Be realistic about yourself. If I'm 5'10 and I'm 205 pounds, 
I'm not going to play at Texas. I'm not even going to be recruited by a Division I Power 5 school. But I want to play the game. So be realistic. Be realistic. You want to play football? Go where you can play. And be realistic. Don't be an egotistical person. Be realistic. Okay? The parents need to be realistic. Oh, I want my son to play at Florida because I went to Florida and I'd love to see him be a Gator. And when every Saturday afternoon when he walks, runs on the field, I, I feel that Gator pride because my son's a Gator. That's great. But is your son ever going to get on the field? Probably, you know, if he's not one of the top guys. I don't know that. But go where you can play. Be realistic. Mom and dad be realistic. Okay? I got a grandson who's playing at McKinney High School. He's going to be a junior this fall. He's 5'11", 165 pounds, and he loves the game, but at least he's realistic. Dad, Grandpa, I'm never going to go play at a big school. I may not even play good enough to play college football at whatever level. And you know what I tell him? My son, I appreciate you being realistic. Now, when you select the school you go to, you might want to look heavily at the intramural program that that school has where you can participate and enjoy it and play that sport and other sports and have camaraderie and have fellowship and have growth and development okay, with good leaderships in the program that you go to. So be realistic. And that's, and the problem is we fill them with all this. And the problem is we, every camp you go to or every program you're involved, you expect a trophy. You expect the medallion because I predict I played in a, in a uh, league, a, a touch league or, a, you know, whatever. I went to camp and I spent five days at this camp. And, well, we always get a trophy. Why do we get a trophy? What? So we as adults perpetuate this attitude in them that they're so elite. Let's be realistic. Let's let them have a great time, a good experience. And be realistic where they can have that good experience. Okay? So that's my next to the parents. Be realistic. Select the school or get a group of schools that you think you can play at, the level you can play at, a group of schools that have the academic interest that you may be at this point in your life interested in to follow. Okay? Maybe three or four different majors. Check those schools out where the majors are. Go to camps, go to a football camps, two or three of them in the beginning of the summer in June, usually, whether it's an overnight or day camp, whatever. So you can compete against other people and you can see the skill levels of other kids from other parts of the country, other parts of the city. And for you to get an idea, you know, hey, I got an education, you know, I got it. This guy did this and this guy did that. And he's the one that the coaches were talking to and really wanted to visit with. Okay, so I'm going to be realistic about this. But it's good to go to those camps and participate and compete and see how you stack up so you yourself can have a better idea about your ability, the level, and so forth. Um, so I think that's important. I think the biggest thing is, is to be realistic. It, it kills me when I hear everybody putting the kudos to everybody and you're the greatest and you're this and that at such an early age, you know, and they think through this and that when they're really not, when it gets down to it, you know, they're going to have a bad experience when I went to the school or went to that or whatever. I want the people to have a good experience because if we have a good experience, we will grow and develop. Okay. We will grow and develop and feel good about ourselves and want to play, all right? And that's, that, I think, is so important when looking at, a, looking at schools and those type of things. You can start early. I'm not wrong with that at all, okay? If I got a letter from the school, and a letter that I just finished my sophomore year. My son Blair got a letter out of the, coming out of the ninth grade from Texas A&M. Did he get recruited by Texas A&M? No, he was a Division I recruit, but he ended up having visits to Florida, to Louisville, he had offers, 10 different offers later after a year or two, if he went on a church mission and became a redshirt 21-year-old freshman. A lot different. But the growth development for him was incredible as a person physically and so forth. Okay? 
anyway, I could tell stories and whatnot. But the thing was, that growth and development period became realistic for him. And he was right on the cusp of getting an offer from Florida. It got to he and one other quarterback. And he came in late. The other kid was in early, offered him first. If the kid doesn't take it, because it's between Florida and Florida State, if he doesn't take it and goes to Florida State, Blair, you got one. Oh, my goodness. Well, the kid took it. So what are we going to do now? Yeah, your bubbles burst and all that happy stuff. Life goes on. We got to make adjustments. A and I, adjust and improvise. Okay? And then what would you say to coaches for these high schools? Coaches at the high schools, be realistic about your talent. Be realistic about them. You know, don't, don't elevate them to the sky when really they're, you know, again, put grades on them if you want. He's outstanding. He's excellent. He's good. He's average. Use a scale. Okay, put some value to where they're at in their life. Now, that's not going to stay the same. But at this particular time, be a realist with them. But then teach them. Here's how I can make you better. You've got some improprieties in this area. Here's how we're going to get you better. We got to get you in the weight room. Okay? Because I got to get you stronger to do, be able to do this. Okay? I need to get you faster because we got to do specific type of training to increase your quick speed, your first couple steps, your short area quickness, your long speed. Now, sometimes it gets to the point where I am what I am. Okay? That's understood. But he may drop from a 5.240 to a 4.940 with the training and the teaching and the working with it. And as he gets better, he'll feel better about himself and feel better about the game and all the other things. And I know that sounds philosophical, but it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. And, and just to tie back in what you said at the start about three things that you got to know as a recruiter, I think it applies to high school coaches too, where you got to know your product. You know, you got to know the players that in and out and, and on and off the field. And honestly, I think that I learned the most just from dealing with scouts like yourself was that you could care less what I think about the player because they're not paying me for, you know, my, my evaluation, they're paying you for your evaluation, but you're visiting with me for what I do have, which is a knowledge base of who the person right. is. And right. if you're a high school coach, you better know like who's involved with the kid, uh, what mom and dad situation is. Um, I, I, I learned so much on all these calls with, with high school coaches about, you know, how they're developed and, and about their background. And it, it ultimately leads into how we should recruit the kid based on some of those initial conversations. There you go. And, how, to connect, how to connect. Yeah. And how to connect with the kid through the information that you're getting from the high school coach. So you're, it's such a critical step in the process. And then, you know, the market you work in. So, okay. If I got a quarterback, I know what a power five quarterback looks like a group of five, a FCS, a, division two, division three, this guy probably needs to go Juco, um, kind of know, know what market you're in and then know the competition. Some of the best combos that I've had where are coaches that will say, Hey, I know you're looking for a D lineman. I don't have one, but this kid down the road Absolutely. is the real deal. Yep. And I know this about him, but you should call coach so-and-so about yep. this player. I mean, it have, it, that, that, those conversations uh, are the real fun ones where you, you go down a rabbit hole of just players getting recommended by coaches. And um, I didn't mean to dovetail into, into, into your advice, oh, but that was but awesome. I, but I want to add to you what you just said. That coach identified for you a person to follow up on, to then qualify that person. He may be a heck of a, co a, heck of a football player, but, you know, that coach recommended him from, from – uh, Cypress Lake to wherever, to the school, he said, this guy down the road, he doesn't realize the kid may not academically be eligible. He may be a special education student for all you know. And that's <laughs> where you then go to the qualified qualification. Correct. Now, there's one thing I want to commend you on as a pro, pro liaison. When I would visit with you on the school call at Houston, I always appreciated when I would go down my list from the combine. All right. When you get the, we call it at, with Carolina, we call it the Bible sheet. And I would have maybe five players that the combine from the spring 
had done all their work on and evaluated and listed them above a line. These are guys you must evaluate, John Peterson. And the, the remaining 15 all the way down were names and numbers of players and so forth. Everybody had to be accounted for. But I would go down the list below the line of those 15 players, and you would say to me, you say, no, he's a college player. He's, he's not, he's just, he's, he's a, he's a walk-on who just is not, not scout team for us, blah, 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 blah. And then you'd get to a certain guy. You know what, John? This kid really came on in the spring. He's really shown us in camp so far this August, as we just about finished camp and get ready for game. He's now a starter for us. If you asked me about him in December of last year, I would have said, no, he's a college player. But he's put on 15 pounds. He's increased his speed. He's doing this. He's doing that. Okay, all those measurable type of things. And his playing ability has improved. He's really improved in his pass protection. He's got a quick pass set. You start to talk about him like that. And now that's a guy I'm going to look for and evaluate. But you would do that. And a lot of other guys don't. They just say, well, that's it. Or really, we got five. You got five above the line. There's really two guys here. It, and, and evaluating is not a static environment. It's a dynamic one. And, and players get better. Players get better from sophomore to junior year to junior to senior year. And um, I, I think we could talk all day. This, this was day. absolutely phenomenal. Um, where can our listeners follow up with you? You're not on Twitter, correct? Correct. Not on but, but let's, let's talk about kind of how, how our listeners can get in touch with you through the Scouting Academy. Absolutely. Since I retired in June of 2016, after 19 years on National Football League, I hooked on with the Scouting Academy. And if you get online, the Scouting Academy, just look under the Scouting Academy and it'll come up. It's been in existence for five years. Dan Hatman, the director and founder, put this together. He was a former NFL scout, pro-sided scout with the Philadelphia Eagles for a number of years. Before that, he has a master's degree from University of Massachusetts in, in um, administration and so forth and, and football uh, and the related areas. But he put this together and he had sent this when I, just before I retired, I got this letter from him. Said, I, the guys around the league said, you're probably gonna retire. Would you be interested in the scouting academy? And I said, well, I don't know what that is, but that time, but yeah, I gave him a call and we visited. And sure enough, the scouting academy exist and has been there five years and let me just tell you what we've done in five years the scouting academy has now placed 39 of its students in the national football league in player personnel coaching or football operations 39 existing right now in five years the scouting academy has put in 170 170 students, our students, into power five colleges and universities across the country, and presently has 130 working to this day, active in power five and across the division one and division two and double A across the nation. Now, these are people who may have played college football, may have been a high school player. We've had in our academy Coaches who retired at age 55 and are interested in getting into scouting. In my class, the first class you take is an evaluation class conducted by Dan Hatman. And you will learn how to evaluate, how to write a report. We send the reports off to a big database and so forth. Then the second class you take is my class. And we kind of consider it a graduation, a graduate class where I have this particular one we started last week, class one, we have 21 people. Many of the classes we've had, we've had international students from South Africa, from England, from France, from Germany, Mexico, Canada, are, who have an interest in getting into scouting. The particular class I teach is called the NFL evaluations class. I teach it in the fall. We started a month earlier this year. So we started on the 9th of July was class one. On the 30th is class two. 
and there's different things we do. I will lecture and every student has my lecture notes in front of them. They can be online, they can listen to me, and they also have every, a copy of my lesson that I'm teaching from, my, my lesson plan. They can follow along with me. They also have a copy of visual aids that I'm using. They have that right in front of them on their computer or printed out. And as I talk, I will say, turn to this page. I want to look at this. I want to go to this. And so our lectures go usually two to three hours in length, more likely two, two and a half. Uh, that's what we were the other night in our first session. And we will teach you everything that a college scout does in the National Football League over a 12-month period of time from NFL training camps, what I do in a camp training camp. When I do, how do I do this? How do I get my calendar set up? How do I go and make contact with coaches at the college level? How do I set up a schedule? How do I get my transportation? On and on and on. How do I write, how do I evaluate? How do I make contact uh, with a coach? How do I connect with a coach, with a person, with the academic counselor? with the equipment director and so on. And we'll take you through the entire year leading all the way up to and, the, to and through the draft. We'll even put on a mock draft just before the real one. We'll talk about draft meetings. We'll talk about pro days in March. We'll talk about the combines. We'll, uh, we'll talk about all-star games and you name it. We go in the, in the entire combine and then we do the drafting principle. We talked about signing free agents after the draft for those who weren't drafted. What is that process like? We talk about um, OTAs, the training, when we go through that, we take them a full calendar. Now, here's the important thing about it. We believe in experiential learning. I'm going to visit with you, lecture, visit, communicate, answer your questions, delve deep into the subject matter at hand. But at the end of that particular time, for instance, on the end of our first class period on June 9 of this year, they were given an experiential project that they are now starting. And it's to, number one is to do summer reports. How do I do a summer report? I want you guys to take three different colleges by you that you could attend and go through that's close, or maybe you already work for, because we've got a lot of people who take the class already working into college. Um, and I want you to evaluate. I, I want you to take our four steps, identify, qualify, evaluate, and recruit. The first thing you're going to do is identify. We, this was what our class one was. How do we identify? What do I look for? What are the resources to identify? So they're right now, they're identifying players at three colleges they picked out. They're identified. The next they will do is go then, they're going to qualify them next. They've got to find different criteria to qualify them. Well, identify this player, but, you know, he's just not big enough. Yeah, I'm sorry, he's not fast enough. Okay, so now I'm down to X amount of people. I'm going to evaluate these particular people in my actual actual qualifying. Then I know who would go out and recruit and so forth if I were to do that. We teach them every aspect every aspect of what a college scout does over an entire calendar. Now, one thing we don't do at this point, and we're probably moving in that direction, is a fundamental workshop type of program where you learn how to set up a height chart. How do I measure? How do I measure hand, arm, wingspan? How do I set up a combine? What do I do at a combine? How do I do a mar March pro day? We talk about them, but what are the working logistics of that that we're working with as well? So obviously the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, we just placed one of our person I had in my grad class yesterday. We now have two women in the National Football League who are college scouts. And one of those women took my class two years ago. And then after taking my class would call me and pick my brain on this and pick my brain on that. And she worked with the Miami Dolphins on an internship. She worked with the Denver or with the Dallas Buffalo 
bills for another internship. Two days ago, she is now a full-time employee of the Cleveland Browns in college scouting. She will work college scouting and pro scouting and actually go out and make a school call, school calls. That's awesome. That's a living example of what we're at, but that's what it's all about. And we believe on the experiential learning process after we educate you of, again, remember this, what Clark W. Hetherington says, man plus environment plus activity plus leadership equals education or production. I appreciate the chance to be a part of your program today, Alex. I've enjoyed it immensely. And hopefully I've answered some questions and maybe sparked some interest on your listeners out there. Uh, I certainly have a passion for what I do. I'm 71 years old and I'm eager and ready to go to my next activity that I'm planning on doing right now. Thank you so much. And uh, we will definitely be in touch. And thanks again. I, I, this was awesome. You bet. Thank you, Alex. And thank you listeners out there. And I hope you enjoyed it. And most of all, quality people build quality programs manage with people don't manage people manage with them it's a higher production